listeners. Welcome to The Haunting of Good Society, a Behold Her Studio production. While we're between Behold Her podcast episodes, we're following the tragic tale of the Cluett sisters, siblings estranged over a dark past and reunited over the wedding of their childhood friend and the mysterious Count Simon. But something is amiss. Will the sisters, former child detectives, put aside their differences to take on one last case? Find out in this four-part Good Society RPG miniseries brought to you by Story Brewers Roleplaying and Friday Afternoon Tea. Let's meet our cast. My name is TK Johnson, and I'm the chaperone who guides the Cluett sisters through a dark romantic journey. Find me on Twitter at TKJoinsTheFray or as part of the disastrously unfunny Indoor Recess Crew. My name is Lisa Penrose, and I play Henrietta Cluett, the eldest sister with a dark secret inside. Find me on Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram at Lisa Penrose. My name is Eugenio Vargas, aka DM Jazzy Hands, and I play Harriet Cluett, the middle sister and member of the clergy. Find me on Twitter and Twitch at DM Jazzy Hands. My name is Friday Elliott, and I play Edwina Cluett, the youngest of the Cluett sisters, with a scandalous reputation and dark and twisted aims. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at FridayTea, and on Twitch at FridayAfternoonTea. Brace yourself. It begins. We decided at the end of the last episode that we would begin with an event today. And this is where we find ourselves marching through the dark night and the pouring rain and the churning mud beneath our feet as we approach the house at the end of Claret Lane surrounded by a shrieking mob headed off by Lieutenant Levi Lockhart, who is begun to kick down the front door, brandishing a silver saber, a silver rapier, given to him by the sister of his lady love. Edwina, what did you do? I told him (laughs) he needed to defend you. That's your betrothed. He took me at my word, I suppose. I, I I may have gotten the soldiers a bit stirred up. I did what needed to be done. The wood splinters audibly, and even from the end of the street, you can see the mob begin to file in, to flood into this beautiful mansion. You can hear the crash of furniture through the windows. You can smell the pit and tar of their torches. You can see the embers rising as they begin to set curtains aflame. And suddenly you can feel the chill of a cold breeze as this storm picks up, the rain begins to pellet into you, begins to beat into you like bullets. And then everything goes very dark and very quiet. The first scream comes when you reach the end of the drive. By the time you and Francis Pratt have reached the front door, there is nothing but bodies and blood and blackness. Will you enter the house 
at the end of Claret Lane. Um, a- after you, Lieutenant. Lord Pratt. Uh, uh, Lieutenant. <laughs> Levi Lockhart, all right. <laughs> Levi Lockhart bursts into the door. Sword held high. Is he still, He's uh, he was in there, right? Oh, he's in there now. In there now, okay, great, fantastic. Yeah, if you want to throw Levi Lockhart into the thick of oh, it, Levi Lockhart is be my guest. Levi Lockhart is is on a mission. I'm yeah, kill Levi that boy. Lockhart. I'm gonna kill that Disney prince. Oh Lord, I think Francis Pratt follows, at least for now, for my lady's honor. Sword aloft. Levi Lockhart charges into yeah. the room. Because good society is not a game meant to fight vampires with or have any <laughs> manner of combat system, My bad. I will make an executive decision and permit resolve tokens to force an action. Uh, we'll we'll take a very a very cinematic approach to it. And okay. if you would like for something to happen, then you can use your resolve tokens. So that way, you know, because the, it resolves tokens exist to to affect a chapter anyway. So excellent. I would love to use a resolve token to give Levi the absolute hero action sequence. I would love if you'll accept if, if Simon is Lord Cradock visible even at all. I don't believe that Simon Cradock is visible at all. Instead, the little that you all can see as these sort of these torches and candles are sort of guttering and and sort of spitting sparks and flame in puddles, growing puddles of blood. You can see the small flash of movements as another woman in a white dress grips the head of, of some person from the village that you saw at the wedding and you can't quite remember the name of and twists his chin to meet his shoulders, twists it to meet his spine and then sets the palm of her hand on the back of his head and pushes him to the floor with an audible thud. Excellent. Lieutenant Levi Lockhart, sword held aloft. Madam, you forget yourself. (laughs) Tackles the woman, please. Holding the sword away from her. He can't harm a woman, but he must restrain her. Yeah, she begins to rake her claws against his against his body and she shrieks and as he twists and turns to to sort of grapple her and restrain her the group of you can see her face. This is a uh, a blonde woman with a heavy fringe. Her hair has come out of some manner of funerary updo and you can see that it is not Carolyn. You have seen this likeness in a couple of the portraits. You recognize it as his first wife, Lena Whitewood. She snarls and bears a mouthful of fangs like a viper and sinks them deep into the flesh of his arm. I think Lord Pratt sees this, lets out a rather undignified little shriek, throws his sword... (laughs) in their general direction and turns to bolt from the door. It's up to you how far he gets. <laughs> yeah, if you, 
What? Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say Henrietta had separated from Harriet and Edwina um, Mm -hmm. and had had a talk with herself, angrily stalking away from Harriet. I'm going to say she's realized that in her mind or in Agatha's mind, the Count and Hattie are responsible for Carolyn's death. So she has just shown up at this house. And I feel like if Francis Pratt is like running, looking over his shoulder, he like runs right into Henrietta. Mm -hmm. How does Henrietta resolve that? I feel like Henrietta is like 100% Agatha behind the wheel right now. How does Agatha feel? Excuse you. And like just shoves Francis Pratt into the doorframe. I think that shocks him a little bit, not knowing that this is in fact Agatha and not Hetty. Just a, a familiar face and that of his sort of mm, paramour might be strong, but let's just say Edwina's sister, I think sort of shocks him back to himself a little bit. And he reach, <laughs> he reaches down as if to to grab his sword and like brandish oh, it heroically. No! And, of, and of course comes away with nothing because the sword is on the floor oh. inside. Oh, uh, absolutely. <laughs> Where do you think that you're going? To, uh, um, to find uh, you and your sisters, uh, my lady. Uh, the lieutenant is in. Have you seen Harriet? Uh, no, I, I, we were with the group that arrived uh, before. You have? Do you not know where is Edwina? Do I don't? I don't care. She's with Harriet, so if we can find Edwina, we can find Harriet. I can take care of my business. Have you seen the count in this chaos? Uh, no, there has been no sign of that monster yet. Monster indeed. Uh, well, we will need weapons to defeat him, and bodies, I suppose, to throw at him. You could help with either of those. There are weapons inside, so so that's. Silver? I, yes, as, as a matter of fact, uh, a gift of, of your sister. In okay, fact. well then you will be collecting those. Yes, yes, of course. You will tell Edwina of, of my role in all of this, won't you? Um, yeah, sure. Of course, yes. And I'm going to stalk into the, uh, into the middle of the foyer, the foyer, and cross my arms and just observe the chaos around me. Francis Pratt goes in and like, well, I'm not sure what he sees. I guess we'll find out. But he's just going to, his his sword can't possibly be that far from the door at this point. So he's yeah. just going to, with his foot, sort of drag it closer and pick mm-hmm. it up and look at it. Sort of begin to offer it to Hetty and then just hold on to it and sort of hold it in front of him. Yeah, absolutely. He uses the toe of like his sort of goat hide, like kid leather boot and sort of like up into the um, guard of the rapier and like nudges it closer to him (laughs) and just drags this trail of sort of blood across the hardwood. He picks it up and attempts to to hand it to Hetty. Does she take it? Uh, Does Agatha take it? She puts her hand up in sort of like a stop motion and shakes her head. Lord Pratt as he is offering the sword, realizes that it is the guard and the and the, the handle is just covered in blood and he'll hold on to it, but just... Uh, uh. What's happening to Levi right now? 
yes, let's go back to Levi. So <laughs> yes. we have we have come out of the foyer and let's move our camera in sort of a gliding motion down the dark of this hallway where you, the group of you can hear Levi grunting with effort as he attempts to grapple this woman who has bared her fangs and bit down into the, the chunk of his bicep. Levi can feel the blood draining from his arm and his hand is growing cold. His arm is going limp and it thuds to his side with this woman still attached to it. She wrenches her mouth away and uh, much of his shirt and skin and flesh comes with it. What does Levi do? Dropped sword, dead arm, vampire lady on the arm. All right, <laughs> Levi, in shock and pure adrenaline, will try to punch this vampire. Punches her? Yeah. Just punch her right in the face. If you spend a resolve token, you can do it successfully. Okay. How many of those do you have? You have two. Thank you. Well, well, so that's my question, because we have two, but then our secondary characters also have their oh, own pool. So do you- Exactly. You want, is that okay? Okay, great. Yeah. Cool. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, um, I, I think that that's- It's a finale. There's no rules. <laughs> that's now two for Levi. He used one to yeah. jump on a vampire and try to get her to calm down. Yeah. Now he's getting her into fisticuffs. <laughs> the other one yeah. to punch her in her stupid fang face. Yeah, he, just like that pure, I was going to say American, but like that pure like militaristic grit just comes across in a wide haymaker and smashes into her jaw. Anybody there could see those fangs dislocate and her jaw break against a silver engagement ring that he's wearing. He wears an engagement ring. I'm more we, of a promise ring. It didn't come from me, so I don't know who it's from. I think it's someone. Self in a, in a fit of romanticism oh. and just wears it and pretends it's from you. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Dislocated jaw. Fantastic. Adrenaline still pumping. Can Levi successfully grab his sword and book it back toward the door? Yeah, I think that he has successfully disarmed her. If not permanently, then at least to give him a split second of escape. Fantastic. Fantastic. Then in, in his, you know, military bro in arms uh, programming, grab the sword and run out back into the, into the main kind of uh, action area yeah. where Pratt is standing. So that yeah, that is also where he would find uh, Hetty. Where are Edwina and Hattie? No, last we saw them, they had just seen Agatha storming away, making great threats um, of violence. And uh, I believe Edwina had just kind of put the pieces together. Oh, okay. So um, let's see, where did we... So I think we were going to make our way toward the house behind everyone else, I believe. Yeah, I don't think we were that too terribly far behind our sister slash Agatha. Then Levi entering the room of the foyer with his arm covered in blood and like sort of um, weakly holding the rapier that you would probably enter upon that scene with, with Hetty, Levi and Pratt standing in the foyer and the shrieking howls of pain from, we'll, we'll say that that was the library. 
is there any sign? Well, no, let me rephrase that because yes, there are signs. They're just not very nice signs. <laughs> Do we see any other living townspeople anywhere in either of these, either the foyer or, you know, through the door in the living room or whatever? Can we see anyone else around? Would, is your lantern still lit? Yes. Wait, who? I took it after Agatha got upset. So yes, I think it is. It's not flashing, but it's it's still just lit. Yeah. Then yes, you can see, okay. you can see it's terrible here. Oof. It is a very beautiful house that is otherwise painted in red wine. Mm. And I think the worst part of it is that you've seen this before. Mm. You've seen this house. You've seen this chaos. You've seen this evil. It almost takes you back. Almost. You cannot see any living souls here. I think Hattie takes it in, grabs the rosary, says a requiem of brief requiem prayer for the dead, and is, oh, I've forgotten her name, the first wife. Uh, li- no. Lena? Lena, Lena, Lena. Is she still, is she still there (laughs) so you are in the foyer let's say that there's like a a rectangular room off to the side there's the doorway the doorless uh archway into the library which is where she was attacking everyone on this other side you have the kitchen leading into a pantry and a ballroom and then you have in front of you a stairway leading up to the second level where moira's room was where you are currently lena is not okay but you can uh, so hear her howling in pain in the other room. Carolyn, I'm going to run towards the sound. Yeah. I would like to... Oh, she's going to be so mad. I will offer you a resolve token, Hetty, to grab you and stop you and say that is not Carolyn. I will accept that resolve token. And she just sort of started like walking off and you grab her arm and she turns and she looks at where your arm has clasped around hers. And then she looks up at you directly in your eyes. I warned you to stay away from me. Agatha, right now we have bigger problems than that between you and I. I agree. The count first, then you. The count first and then me. But it could be Carolyn. You don't know. You don't. You didn't see what happened to her. Even if it was Carolyn, even if Carolyn is still with us here, she would be far behind us, no? Then the other one? The other one. Pratt, close the door. There's no door on the library. Well, Pratt, go stand over there and make sure she doesn't come out. When Pratt does approach the doorway of the library, um, however hesitantly, and looks inside, there is no one in there. Um, the room is empty, my ladies. Edwina has uh, been analyzing everything, putting the pieces together, sorting and uh, filing in her mental cabinet, and now has to spring into action. The time for being passive is gone. Pratt, Lockhart, with me. We're going to use our most intimidating voice. We're going to use our most powerful 
leader of the underworld uh, charisma. Girl boss Edwina. Girl boss Edwina is done waiting. I'm going to command the men by last name with all my authority uh, to follow me into the kitchen. Yeah, Pratt will go with you for sure. You're here now, so he's, we haven't quite passed the point of no return, so he's going to save some face, at least for now. (laughs) Oh, Edwina, that one, and I point at Pratt, picked up a sword he dropped. Pratt is, he's like, well, that's what I asked her to do. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, technically. Really should have been more specific. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So both my boys have their swords. I'll take them through the kitchen. We know that the ballroom is where things have gone down in the past. And I still have the power to put these two men in action with the appropriate weapons between my sisters and myself and uh, the threat. Should it still be in there or be in there again? All right. So Levi and Pratt follow you through the parlor into the kitchen where it begins to branch off into the ballroom. And we'll get to you in just a moment because as the three of you leave, a figure has appeared at the top of the stairs, a halo of red curls and a beautiful long white light crown as Moira sets her hand upon the banister and says, Hattie, Hattie, I'm, I didn't know you'd be coming. Yes, Moira, dear. Of course we're here. How are you, Moira? I'm very well now, thank you. Will you say a prayer with me, Moira? She sort of like squares her shoulders and leans away from you. No, I don't believe I'll be doing that. Well, then perhaps I will say one for you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti Extinguatrim Te- Wait, don't you want to know where the Lord of the house is? Where is he? Edwina, just popping over to you real quick. The three of you enter the ballroom, coming off of the kitchen through this swinging door, uh, a servant's entrance to the ballroom, and the place is deserted. But you can see these sort of, um, unlike the rest of the place, where you can imagine when you walked in, this entire building was a beautiful renovation of the house that you had seen in the past, but this one puts you right back to nine years old. This one puts you right back to an empty ballroom with floorboards curling with dust and age, a scent of mildew and something protein heavy, something red as red wine, something like copper on the tongue when you breathe in and the motes of light, tiny particles of dust that dance through the air with every step. You can see these silhouettes of furniture with sheets covered over them stained red as the morning sun. And you know that when you pull away those sheets, just like when you were nine years old, that it won't be furniture underneath. Is there anyone moving in the room? Is there movement at all? Not yet. Edwina has spent every day of every year since she was nine years old learning not to feel anything. 
just so that she would never have to feel like that again. And now that she's back in this place, she's starting to feel a little crackle in the shell, a little, a little gunk in the resolve. But she's come armed with two men who, as far as she's concerned, are sentient suits of armor with swords there to do work for her. So she doesn't have to feel as helpless as she did when she was nine years old. Pratt, Lockhart, be ready. I've been here before. You've never seen anything like what you're about to see. And I need you to swear to me that you'll stand by me. You've come this far. You can't leave me now. Levi nods solemnly. Pat actually stands a little taller. There was something different and honest and strong in a, in a new way to Francis Pratt in that. And so he does. His sword hands settles a little, stills. His shoulders go back a little. His spine straightens. He'll stay with you. Now when I say... We're going to pull back the covers. Just one. Mm-hmm. Edwina takes a deep, deep breath. She takes a deep, deep breath and stares at the two men and over Lord Pratt's shoulder, she can see a sheet shift. That one, now. Pratt will spin and grab the sheet. He'll grab the sheet, he pulls it, he bunches it between his fingers. He whips it up dramatically, a matador about to sink his blade directly into whatever it is lurking under that sheet. The Mediterranean dark curls, the chiseled jaw, the olive skin. Lord Cluett finds his death at the end of Francis Pratt's rapier. Moira looks at the two of you and says, wait, don't you want to know where my husband is? I start walking up the stairs towards Moira. Where is he? I suppose you would have found out much sooner. This would have been a much longer game without the group of you coming back. This is a game to you. Of course it is. I was winning, but who wants to play a game where there is no risk involved? Agatha rushes forward and grabs Moira by the shoulders. You knew, didn't you? You were her nurse. You knew what he was doing to Carolyn. When she puts her arms on her hands on Moira's shoulders, Moira smiles and she looks into your eyes and you think for a moment that she sees you, Agatha. And her eyes flash this sort of knowing silver and she smiles and she says, the best thing about a widower is how wealthy they get. Once over, twice over, it's all I need. I was her nurse. She leans forward. I was her executioner. Agatha is going to push Moira's body or attempt to push Moira's body over Mm -hmm. the railing. Where is he? Moira 
is like a steel spring. And when Agatha pushes her, her back bends flawlessly around the railing. And she just hangs her head over the side with her hair like a waterfall of blood and laughs the most melodious harmonic laughter. Harriet <laughs> is going to, uh, not having rushed up the stairs uh, with with Henrietta, this is all, there's a lot. Uh, so she, I didn't follow, but seeing Moira sort of bent over the banister there, laughing something about that laugh snaps me out of it. And I wanna rush forward. And if I need to, you know, if there's a, a, a sideboard or something to climb onto or whatever it is, but get up so that I can reach Moira's head and face. And I wanna take my rosary and wrap it around Moira's neck and just pray as hard as I can back and forth between a last rite requiem and an exorcism. Yeah, for sure. And remember, y'all got resolve tokens too. I will allow Agatha to also have resolve tokens. She doesn't have to use headies. Yeah, you pull that rosary around her neck and she screams and it rattles the windows in the ballroom as Edwina watches her father's lifeless form sink to the floor and this hole of ash begin to blossom out from his chest. Mm. The rest of the room starts to shift as all of these white sheets sort of puddle towards the floor. You can see the form of people that you have known in this town for some time. People that have been wealthy landowners and homeowners in this town. And the final one that rises is this sort of waxy figure of a man whose wedding you only just attended whoops <sighs> okay all right um and how are pratt and uh and lockhart handling themselves edwina i can tell you is absolutely senseless she was not expecting it to be her father under there she had not prepared for that edwina thought she had stopped feeling anything at all, but seeing daddy at the end of a sword that she had commanded herself has just completely, completely undone her. Edwina is a, is a gibbering mess on the floor with daddy's body. You hold his head close to your chest and his blood begins to pool out against your shirt. And then suddenly you are stained with this, the, the ashes left over from his form collapsing around the sword. Francis Pratt, what are your thoughts? There is a moment of exultant triumph in that thrust and feeling it slide home inside his foe that is then immediately replaced by shock and horror when he recognizes what has happened, when he, when he realizes that Edwina has recognized what has happened. And then just as quickly, he goes through those two emotions and then immediately just steel stands next to Edwina, rapier clumsily but solidly held, waiting for someone to try to attack. Yeah, we're going to swing away from you as Lieutenant Levi and Francis Pratt begin their, their sort of dance, this almost waltz of 
taking down one foe after another to defend Edwina as she mourns her father and go back to Agatha as she attacks her daughter's killer on the stairwell. Agatha is screaming, wailing these more animalistic screams as she shakes Moira, bashing her into the banister over and over. And then suddenly, abruptly, the wailing stops and a younger voice comes out of Hetty's mouth. Moira, when? Moira takes this moment of this like strength slackening on her shoulders to kick as hard as she can to kick Hetty away from her. Does she do it? Um, yes. She stands as much as she can, ripping at the rosary. And finally, the scar of these beads has has formed, has blistered up against her neck. And she bends her back 100% forward. And she looks at you and squares her shoulders. When you left me here. Didn't have a choice. After what we'd seen. After all those deaths. You didn't have a choice. I didn't have a choice. But I do now. How? How did you become this? How did you? This house hides more than corpses. What are a few more? Then you're not Moira. Moira's dead. She crouches and she bears her fangs and claws and prepares to charge you. Hetty is going to push herself up and stride towards Moira, uh, fangs bared and all, and kind of cut Moira's face in her hands. She's hoping that Moira being dead is a bluff. She knows what it's like to be repressed in your own body. And she's going to try to reach Moira. I'll spend a resolve token if that's the if something I can do here. Yeah, for sure. And um, she's going to hold Moira's face and just say, we were just children. All of us. You and Harriet and Edwina and, and me, even though we joked. And we couldn't control what happened to us or... Or what happened after, you can stop this. Yeah, so you spent your resolve token to try to like reach Moira, and you can see like these pinpricks of red at the corners of her eyes. They roll down her cheeks and like stain her face a sort of scarlet. It's too late. It's too late for all of them. Agatha is going to take back over now. And Agatha using surprise, pushes Moira off over the ledge of the banister. Moira spins through the air. Her body slams to the ground. She lays there for a moment, and she begins to curl her nails against the wood floor and slowly get up, just a tangle of awkwardly angled limbs. She wrenches her head up away from the ground and you can see her skin has cracked like a porcelain doll. I should have expected this. It makes sense. You three always ruined everything. 
but I got you good. I got this whole town. No matter what happens tonight, you'll remember it was me who did this to you. She digs her claws into the plaster of the wood and the plaster of the wall and begins to spider crawl her way away towards the ballroom. Hattie is going to run up the stairs now to Hetty and uh, just check her over. First of all, make sure she's relatively physically uninjured. Get off of me. Seems that you're fine. If your sister hadn't taken over for sentimental reasons, we could have vanquished her by now. Wasn't Moira, was it? I don't think so. Just like it wasn't Carolyn, Agatha. Carolyn was a victim. Moira is... something else. A monster. And yet there are greater monsters than she in this house tonight. That is what we hunt. Oh, don't be so dramatic. And she's going to walk past Harriet and start stomping down the stairs. As Hetty leaves, Hattie just takes one deep breath. Says, I'm dramatic. You've been possessing a 23-year-old girl, just mumbling and grumbling as she goes down the stairs. Yeah, where do you go from here? I'll I'll follow Hetty, so. I'll wait at the bottom of the stairs because I know I'm not equipped to deal with a vampire. Um, (laughs) But I was just trying to prove a point. And then at the bottom of the stairs, um, I'll, uh, once Harriet joins me, do you have what you need to get rid of whatever she is? I'm going to check my my pocket where I had the leaves of Silver Flash Mm -hmm. uh, and make sure that they're still there and dry and ready. Mm -hmm. And uh, just nod. Can we hear any of what's going on in the ballroom? Oh, for sure. You can. Okay. But uh, I I would venture to say that it did not alarm you at first because it was what you expected to hear. Totally. Totally. So, yeah, then Hattie will just say, uh, indeed. And it sounds like Edwina and her gentleman may be in need of some assistance. When the two of you enter the ballroom, having gone through this parlor and kitchen and servant's entrance to the ballroom, you can see Edwina in this crumpled heap of tears of shoulder-racking sobs and cradling a corpse. You can see two men covered in their own wounds that are sort of fearlessly fending off the last of this sort of uh, scattered amount of bodies upon the floor. Um, But you can also see this, a sort of like antechamber sort of stairwell that begins to go even further to to what you know is the room beneath the ballroom. Hmm. The door to that antechamber and stairs has been ripped off its hinges. Just like I did with Hetty, I go over to, to check on Edwina. Physically, obviously she's upset, but I don't, I mean, our dad got ashed, right? So I don't know that, is he, is there a corpse would I recognize or is it? No, I I don't think, I think you would see charred remains. Okay. So not realizing that there is definitely an emotional aspect, uh, you know, very sort of business-like over to Edwina to check out, you know, check for wounds, check for mm, bites. And Edwina will lift her, her tear-stained snot drip face covered in in ash and blood to her sister and 
she's moved through in this, in these few minutes, she's moved through every emotion that she has refused to feel for the last 10 years. And she's, she's felt all of it all at once. And she's angry. Now she's gone through all the rest and now she's pissed. She's furious with the situation. She's furious that she's been put in this position again and that it's even worse this time. It's more personal. She's furious that she thought she could handle it, but she couldn't. And she's embarrassed to have been upset. She's, she's angry with herself for being emotional. So Edwina will shove past her sister and take the sword out of, uh, out of Lockhart's hand and say to the room, this ends now. We've been here before. We're not letting them win again and start heading toward the basement. Well, shit. I guess we should follow. Harriet, what do we need to end this? Moira and any others that he has turned, they are a simple enough matter. I have some silver remaining, we can burn it and burn them. I don't believe the master of this house will be quite so simple. I will need time. So uh, chaperone mask off, just to make it clear, Moira has implied that she's the master. Right? It's just so but much better. So, oh, so good. Okay, so going back then, I believe that Craddock, and, oh, I guess I didn't see Craddock because he's not here anymore. Those underling creatures, should there be more, are easy enough. Moira will be more troublesome. I will need time with her. I, I don't know if there's some sort of... If it's staking her through the heart or splashing holy water on her or whatever it is, but I would like to end her, even if it means I have to pass on. Hattie will take out her Bible flask of alcoholic holy water and pass that to to Hetty to Agatha and say... It will be all of us, a stake, the water of the Lord, and the words of the Lord together can destroy that monster that has destroyed so much for all of us. Hetty takes the, the silver flask, uh, and you kind of hear and smell it burn her flesh a little bit. Hattie tries to take it back because she realizes her mistake. And, um... Hetty refuses. She's like, yeah. no, I'm a part of this. I will I will take a moment to say that Levi rips part of that useless sleeve off from where his hand is hanging dead and wraps it around Hetty's hand. Protect oh. her from the silver. Hetty like just sort of notices that he's here, or Agatha just sort of notices that he's here and gives him like a sort of like, oh wow, weird that you're here too, sort of look. Oh yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> like Kind of weird you're still here since you don't have a sword and can't be of any use to us, so... But also, I love that, like, Levi has no way of understanding what is going on or yeah. why her hand is burning. He's, he's like, just like... He's, yeah, he's just like... He's oh, like oh, you have a silver allergy! Yeah. And then he promptly passes out from blood loss. Yeah. <laughs> Bless him. He did good. He, he did, did good. good. He just does his best. 
All right. Is there any furniture, uh, sheet covered or otherwise in this room? Yeah, sure. Fuck it. It's okay. an alley. <laughs> so I'm going to direct Pratt to go over and take one of the chairs and break the, the legs off of it. Presumably so, wouldn't I? I mean, he's good, but I don't know about a metal chair breaking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so while we are thinking about pre-basement, it is the hour mark. Do we want to get into reputation, rumor and scandal, epistolary? Or would we rather do two chapters in a row and use those other things as sort of an epilogue? Yeah, that's kind of what I had in mind. All right. Unless someone was like dying to do something. Okay. I just like, like the drama of like a, a cliffhanger, like we're going to take a little break and come back to it. But like, I only would want it for the drama. So, yeah. <laughs> it's like, that okay, tracks. we're going down to the basement to kill a vampire. But first, let me update my live journal. <laughs> <laughs> and Duina's like off to the side, like <laughs> tweeting, live tweeting it. <laughs> live from the house at the end of Claret Lane. Bitch. Yes. <laughs> it is amazing. All right. So Francis Pratt begins to break off like chair legs and table legs. Essentially, rapiers are not slashing weapons. So sort of just like, sort of just like angle breaks it so that there is at least a pointy end. Right. I think Hattie actually only asks him for one to give to Edwina because he has his sword. Hetty has her job with the Bible juice mm-hmm. and I have my, my prayers and, and what's left of my poor rosary. Oh yeah. And like, Francis gives you a, a look that's sort of like, what if you miss? Okay, not my problem. Right. <laughs> and I think Francis would also make a sort of like set the silver sword down and make like a show of like putting Lieutenant Lockhart's arm around his neck and carrying him out of the house. All right. So are you ready to go down into the basement? <sighs> the basement. Yes. Yeah. The stairs creak exactly as you knew they would as you descend into the dark and the damp. The chill of the air undisturbed by man or monster for over a decade. The air is heavy here and it weighs on your chest like stone. It's almost claustrophobic even though this is open air and you could... The three of you could stand with your arms out even as adults and not touch the wall. And yet, it feels as though you are trapped in a stone tomb. It is claustrophobic down here. It is a casket of stone and these sad, sad memories of three children quietly climbing down the stairs. Ten years ago, the three of you climbed down these stairs and you saw a figure hunched over a desk, frantically sewing, sewing, dragging needle through flesh in the flickering candlelight, and you held your breath in the hopes that he would not hear you. And as you ducked behind old furniture and barrels and wine caskets and kegs in this old house at the end of the Claret Lane. You could hear the scuffle of a shoe as Moira tried to join you. But there 
are no men in the basement. Only the shade of what was. Only the ever-present whisper of a hundred victims that you could not save. Only the flicker of light as someone perhaps Agatha once knew passes through stone through the basement and back through stone again. You can see the wisps of the past, these memories. They turn their heads silently to you as you walk among them. Perhaps it is because you are in this presence of a spirit yourself that you can see these forlorn faces that decorate the basement like some sort of macabre trophies that the killer himself could not even appreciate. But they sorrowfully stare at you and they solemnly watch as you go further and further into the dark end where stone meets floor and the shadows grow long and a woman with a broken face cowers as another woman with blonde hair attempts to rearrange the flesh on her skull, perhaps try to make her pretty again, as pretty as she was on her wedding day and as pretty as she was when you left her in the basement. A hundred eyes watch. Don't look at me with envy. As you can tell, there's no escaping here. I'm back. There is a cacophony, a symphony of whispers. How could you come back? How could you forget us? How could you? Why didn't you, Elbows? Why didn't you? Why didn't you? She's back. She's back. What do you think she's here for? What is she? Her daughter. Her daughter. You would have done the same. You would have run. You would have done the same had you been there. You, you were there. And you could, if you could have. You would have escaped, too. There first. She got there first. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We could have got the sisters, but she wouldn't let us. She wouldn't let us. All for nothing. All for nothing. Look where I brought her. Back to the grave. Back to the grave. Death to the whispers of the spirit. She has eyes only for Moira. She understands now that she sees her in the flesh with the broken face. She understands what's happened. She won't, she won't lunge ahead. She's uh, not her usual impulsive self in this moment. She recognizes that they have to be more cautious than that. She'll stick with her sisters, but one foot in front of the other. After encouraging my sisters to go on, Hattie just sort of settles into a steady whispered role of prayers as we move forward, trying yeah. her best not to look to the sides, not to acknowledge the spirits because they, more than the ballroom, more even than Moira, these spirits remind her of what we failed to do and what we ran from and what we obviously cannot escape. Girls all grown up, all grown up. Do you still have the scar? The scar, do you still have it? Hattie moves her hand to her jawline where a scar used to be and traces the smooth, unblemished skin and her prayers get just a little louder. Not the same, they're not the same. Look at them, look at them. Blood on her hands, blood on her hands. Do you think he'll forgive you? Lifts her sword 
in front of her, still focused on Moira. How far is Moira from us now as we're walking toward her? I'd say she's probably about 30 feet. But the steps get slower and the shadows grow longer and her eyes pierce the night. These yellow cat's eyes. And you can see the flash of white teeth as a smile stretches her face. Come to die, Cluet sisters. Been there, done that. She stands, and this white gown puddles around her. Her hair is beginning to hang a little limp, stained with the blood that was running stagnant in her body. It is already coagulated and plastered it to her face. A large red crease and a porcelain doll. She smiles. She says, it means a lot to me that it's, that it's me that's doing it. And when you're dead, it's only the beginning. Then we can eat and eat and eat. Her jaw hangs wide. It stretches down the length of her neck and she tilts her head and bites into the side of Lena's neck, rips a chunk and swallows it. Lena wordlessly collapses to the ground. Many, Moira. How many have you Ended, sullied, ruined. She drags her fingers through the smear of blood on her face and savors it. It doesn't matter. Soon it'll be all of them. Oh, but it does, Moira. You should know better than any of us. Well, glance at Hetty and Agatha, almost any of us. It isn't really an end, is it? And we don't really go, do we? Do you feel them? Yours and all the others. Do you hear them, Moira? Do they call to you as they do to us? Moira, you can see her eyes sort of fearfully dart around the room for a moment and then looks back. Shadows. That's all they are. As you will soon be. She flexes her hands and begins to to crouch as though to preparing to pounce. I'll just again yell to my sisters, just give me time. And in the front with the sword... Edwina, who cannot stand crimes of fashion, declares, you know chins aren't worn that low, my dear. And takes a running strike with the sword at Moira's jaw, at her face, at her mouth. Mm -hmm. All right, so how would you like that to resolve? I, I have to, I would love to offer that Edwina makes it close with the sword in a very dramatic and glamorous swoop, and that Moira is just supernaturally way faster and manages to knock her sword out of her hand and knock her to the side. I will counter mm. with Edwina 
rushes forward, sprints forward with the sword and is ready to impale Moira. And Moira, having ripped that chunk out of Lena's throat, faster than you can see, lifts up Lena's body and places it where the sword wants to meet a mark and merely nimbly steps to the side as the rapier and Lena's body are both impaled into the stone wall. She looks at you and cups your cheek, smearing a spot of blood against your chin. Sweetie, did you think this would be easy? Agatha is frozen in place. She was very brave upstairs, but back in this prison where she had been for for so long with so many others, she, in her head, just tells that little voice that she's so used to sharing this body with that, like, I can't move. She, she took Carolyn away from me and I but I can't move, not here. And that little voice says, it's okay. You're not alone here. And she turns around to the presences she feels in this room. And she says, you said that if I let you have me, then my sisters would be okay. So take the wheel and ghosts start running through Henrietta's body, each one taking a step forward for her, helping Agatha in this act. Her hands burning uncorks this silver flask of water and lunges forward to splash it at, at Moira. Yeah, 100%. These ghosts are strengthening you. They are unfocused, but it's their rage that sort of like fuels Agatha forward and makes her not notice the burn of silver against her palm. It sort of propels her step by step in the direction of Moira. And I would say, Harriet, as a, as a skilled exorcist, you can see the stream of bodies and the way that they can sort of be utilized into a sort of propelling mechanism. You you watch the stream of like wisps and shades enter and exit and push your sister's body forward like a ship, like a battering ram, splashing a stream of this holy water across the face of the woman cupping her sister's cheek. And you hear this... And see the steam roll off of her flesh as it melts like wax. Patty, seeing these spirits begin to uh, to take this sort of form, she knows that her, I wouldn't call it a bluff, but her, her guess was more on the money than she had dared hoped. And so she takes the crucifix from the, the broken rosary and she holds it forward and she calls out, but not to Moira, rather to the spirits around that have just helped her sister. And she yells, Speedy T, recent dead, ancient dead, angry dead, help me now to end this evil. And she takes the, the sort of jagged edge of where the, where the crucifix was attached to the rosary and cuts down 
her jawline where earlier she felt the missing scar and allows the, the crucifix to be covered in her blood and says, from my pain, from my blood, take strength, avenge your deaths and your souls shall find the peace they so long have sought. In nomine patriot fidio spiritu sanctu. And she just repeats it over and over as I spend my last resolve token to hopefully give these spirits, these ghosts enough of a form to hold on to the writhing Moira so that the three of us can finish what needs to be done. Yes, but as this holy water splashed against her face just before you began your ritual, she screamed in this sort of like guttural mm. howl of pain and smashed her face and jaw into the neck of Edwina. <gasps> yeah. A spurt of blood. <laughs> crashes against the stone wall and she tosses her to the ground. That is when these writhing ghosts given physical form begin to latch onto her, grabbing arms, chest, hair, bearing her back, fusing back into the wall and holding her in place. I will run over to Edwina and assess the damage, but not for anything other than, oh, does Edwina have the strength to use that chair leg, that stake? Is Edwina conscious? <laughs> <laughs> I would say I would say that her attack on you was purely reflexive, Excellent. and thus was nowhere nowhere close to a killing blow. Fantastic. Oh. Um. So then. I do still have my silver sword. It's in someone else's body currently, but it's like right there. And Hattie, you have the chair leg from Pratt, right? Yeah, and I'll, I'll give you the chair leg and say where the monster's heart would be. Excellent, okay. And Edwina has lost any sense of, of overwhelming feelings. They're gone again, she put them away. <laughs> in her well-armored cupboard. <sighs> and Edwina is up on her feet and she has that stake in hand and she will take a running, unladylike, primal scream jump at Moira and aim for the heart. Hetty is guiding this stream of ghosts, acting as sort of this... Um a medium or a portal for them to be made real and be re made realized. And you can see the form of Moira thrashing and writhing, contorting against this stone wall, completely open to attack. Kill your childhood. Leave it dead in the basement. She was your best friend. Leave her where she died. Stone splinters against her hip. Blood splatters against your dress. Only her scream remains. Tell me about it. Well, Edwina has now had the blood and ash of two loved ones from when she still felt any feelings at all on her hands and on her body in very short succession. And it's, it's more than she has prepared herself to experience she's turned it all off. She's, she's crying. She's laughing. She doesn't feel anything. She just stands there. Henrietta 
goes over to um, the ashes or whatever remains are left uh, and leans down and whispers, and it's Henrietta's voice, um, I thought of you as a sister. I thought they'd protect you too. I'm so sorry. Even Henrietta can feel the weight of hands ethereal upon her shoulders and a warm touch. Agatha can hear her voice. She can hear Carolyn. Come home. Agatha's voice, um, or the, the older, deeper voice, takes over. I don't know if I... if I remember how. Hattie has gone over to Edwina and taken what little holy water there may be, soaked it in a, in a ripped bit of her, her habit and pressed it against Edwina's wound and sort of put her hand there and just said to keep it on, keep the pressure. And here's that, here's I don't know if I know how, and walks over to Agatha and says, I can guide you. I think I'm I think I'm ready now. And if I may, amid the blood and ash and memories, Patty will perform last rites and say a requiem for Agatha. Do you have a personal object? Hetty, do you have the um. Locket? I think. So in session zero, Harriet acquired a locket from Agatha. I'm going to say she gave the locket to you very early on, Hmm. um, maybe knowing that this moment might come eventually. Yeah. So as I begin the last rites, as I anoint your forehead... I just take the locket and sort of drape it over your your neck. And I say, hold on to this. Remember her. Remember yourself. And be at peace. Agatha opens the locket and inside is a little picture of a younger Agatha holding a baby. There is no flash of light. There's no tunnel. There's no angelic choir or melodic chiming. Just deep inhalation and an exhalation of silver motes as Agatha ascends. Sisters? Henrietta is just going to grab Edwina and Harriet and hug them. Group hug. Yeah, and with that, Edwina breaks down into tears. Yeah. The physical touchstone of her sisters. And it is the only sound in the basement now. If we are okay with it, I would like for the camera to sort of go black on that scene. Sort of fade to black. And if we want, we can get into epilogues and what's going on now. 
So do we want to do reputation, rumor and scandal, uh, epistolary, and then do upkeep with monologue and some light I like role that. play? Even though I guess reputation and rumors and scandal <laughs> phases don't have any consequences, I think they're f- a fun way to explore yeah. an epilogue yeah, anyway. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So does anyone feel like they've gained a positive <laughs> or negative <laughs> reputation attack? For what it's worth, I mean, I think I did what I what my profession yeah. wants me to do. So sh- sure. I mean I don't know. How about a devout positive tag at this I point? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Hold on, I'm bringing up my background sheet. So I think I actually gained negative rep- reputation. <laughs> <laughs> There's something or- really freeing about doing the, the epilogue this way, I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, for acting in an uncouth, low-class, or vulgar manner, I, I straight up ran at another woman with a sword. Um, <laughs> a corpse and then also like covered in blood and you know I looked I looked straight up a mess jabbed my childhood bestie through the chest with a broken chair so a little vulgar (laughs) (laughs) will be the top talk of the town and whoever's left of the town (laughs) all six of them (laughs) (laughs) we know two of them lived so it's probably fine yeah and Madam Black was nowhere near here, so she's fine. <laughs> she was she like, it. man, Father Cyrus wasn't here. It was just like, that's right. Peace. <laughs> I'm going to say that my character is reformed, and just because I no longer have a ghost in me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just give myself a positive reformed. Post ghost. <laughs> Post ghost. <laughs> Um, this is nice because yeah. it's kind of an emotional wind down as well. Because yeah, you know. shall we move on to rumors and scandals? Ooh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So rumors <laughs> and scandals. Um, I would I would like to request just like for personal thing, like because this is an epilogue, that any new rumors that come up come up like within a substantial time period after the the mm-hmm. end of like the story, um, okay. as opposed to like. That night. <laughs> sure. um, I'm sure Did that you? night there were a lot of rumors. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. my gosh. Okay, so uh, we're going to fade uh, rumors uh, that we were involved in the crimes we investigated and that Mr. and Mrs. Cluett have abandoned their daughters. I think that that makes sense because, unfortunately, our parents, it seems, had perished. Uh, we were involved in in the same things with the same house again. Uh, mm-hmm. Count Simon murdered his former brides is no longer being spread. That he was a supernatural being uh, also fades, as does Hetty and Lockhart are scandalously close. <laughs> Edwina has a patron of ill repute. And Madame Black is a witch. So those are all fading. Um, also, Edwina also is a witch. So we can either, um, well, I guess if we're focusing on the future, do we want to each create a rumor? It's sort of part of our epilogues. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. (laughs) The the gossip in in the town after these, like, down the road. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Who Mm. wants to start us off? I'll start because I actually think this might be a rumor that Hattie, if she doesn't start it herself, I think she would encourage it for reasons, which is that 
what actually happened that night was that there was a, uh, you know, a, a terrible monster of a murderer in the town and that Lieutenant Lockhart and Lord Pratt saved the day. Aww. Patty, well, first of all, certainly doesn't want the actual truth getting out about what was down there, but also doesn't really want the attention on her or her sisters anymore. It's been 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I think she is done with that here in Honeyfield in some ways. Uh, Friday, what is a rumor you would like to start? Uh, I would like to start the rumor that uh, there may be romance afoot between Edwina and Pratt. That's really funny because you had just sent him that very direct letter. So maybe that's like, finally, he's like, oh, Edwina's into me? Okay. And now it's too late. He's sending yellow roses. He's not showing up. He's not wielding the family sword. Enoch who? (laughs) (laughs) Bye, boy. I, uh, what is a rumor I want to start? Tika, you can start a rumor too. Oh, I'd love to start a rumor. I would love to start a rumor. A new buyer for the house at the end of Claret Lane. No. No. I should have gone first. I was going to turn it into like a cursed park. Ooh, now. yeah, good idea. No, <laughs> no, 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 but now, like, I like, no, like, like, I like yours, like, they're both, like, it's a, what's gonna happen next? It never ends. I can't think of one. I'm gonna spread the one that Lockhart and Pratt saved the day. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm just Dude, very happy I cannot for believe them. that Lockhart survived. I can't yeah. either. I feel like, our, and so I also mad. wonder if he and Hetty do end up getting married or not. Oh, I hope so. I think they do. I feel like for someone who's been repressed for 10 years by a ghost taking over their body, Lockhart would be the sweetest, most understanding person. Yeah. I'd like to have 50 white doves at their wedding. Yeah. I think they do. I honestly, I kind of hope that they elope. Um, and that they spend like they spend like one week on the Mediterranean visiting oh, her yes. father's like family and stuff like that, and they like fall in love on a boat, oh. <laughs> and they come back and they keep like a little bowl of oranges in the foyer or something like that, oh. and he gives her pedicures. <laughs> yes, he does. Oh. Yes, he does. Keeper, that one. That. He's so sweet. He's like a little Disney prince. Okay, I oh added boy. to our rumors and scandals. Hetty and Lockhart live happily ever after. Yeah. Oh, yes. I adore this. Okay, we did rumors and scandals. So now it's the epistolary phase, letter writing, and then there's also monologues, which we can sort of combo if you have some, like, because like letters are a little bit like monologues. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is basically each of us getting to request uh, an epilogue from someone or each of our characters can do a sort of little epilogue. Let us know what they're doing down the road. Request- Friday's got something. Look at her. <laughs> I really Friday, wanna- please, please go. I want to <laughs> request a letter to Edwina from Enoch. <laughs> yes. Because it is funnier now, it will be. My dearest Miss Cluett, I must admit that your letter caught me quite by surprise. I have long been an admirer of your sister. However, I view you quite the breath of fresh air. Your audacity and ambition would make us quite the match. 
please indicate whether you consider courtship to be favorable. Don't tell your sister. Heart C-O. Check yes or no. <laughs> I love the idea that like now that Edwina can have him, she's just like, whatever. <laughs> I used to like your sister, but now I think you're hot now that you're ruthless and I know it. Yeah. Like, um, I heard you killed a man <laughs> and you threatened me real good in the last letter. Step on my neck. Check yes or no. <laughs> Step on my neck. Y-N. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that's the letter you get from Enoch. Can I, since we're comboing letters and monologue stuff, can I use my monologue token for a light role play scene with Edwina and our cousin? Because they were supposed to meet up in a few days. Yes. If you want to. Up. If you like want to. Some stuff happen. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, uh, do they even meet up? <laughs> <laughs> because he's in prison but he sent me like he didn't say he was gonna meet me he sent no. me a letter saying saying be at this rendezvous point at this time mm-hmm. he's in prison so i'm very intrigued about that as well yeah for sure you show up at the rendezvous point just off of an old pier that used to be uh connected back when honeyfield had a uh, a larger trading community with ships this pier has been derelict for some time and you, you go there, you, you go to this pier and you see that there is a figure in a very trim coat and a, a riding gown, like a sort of riding ga- jacket and gown. And she is sort of anxiously, she's got a, a, crop a writing crop that she is sort of slapping against her open palm every once in a while as she paces back and forth waiting for you clack 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 uh, edwina will sound out a little subtle whoop, 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 signal <laughs> she turns on her heel very matter of fact chin imperiously high she looks at you with her hair, a, a sort of nest of brown, glossy curls, wrinkles her nose. She's got a, a sort of almost vulpin face, very pointed features, high cheekbones. She arches an eyebrow. What is your name? I'm not asking in character. I'm asking as the chaperone. What is your name in the exchange? Ah, <clears throat> uh, my name is Saffron in the exchange. Saffron. Codename Saffron. Uh, yeah. She sort of arches an eyebrow. Saffron? Depends on who's asking. She puts forward a a gloved hand, a sort of leather gloved hand. It is black. Does a a sort of a professional curtsy. She says, hello, yes. I'm Sage. A mutual friend of ours has indicated that I should... Meet with you. We have a very interesting case. Would you like to hear it? Or are you too busy with the family now? Never too busy with family for business. Tell me. Competitors in France. A visit must be paid. Mm. I see. Have we uh, spoken with the European headquarters? 
oh no, it seems that uh, they have a benefactor. Mm. So it is up to us to arrange a little dinner party. I see. Are you free? I am indeed. I'll contact the Colombians. Excellent. She slaps the riding crop against her hand one more time and turns on her heel, disappears into the mist. I guess I won't be sticking around for a family reunion. (laughs) (laughs) I have a letter from Father Cyrus, but this is probably going to be like a year in the future or so. So I don't know if Harriet has anything or if I should just go ahead. Yeah, I think Harriet's letter is a few days later when we are all making, the three of us are making preparations to do whatever it is we're going to do next, go wherever it is we're going to go, presumably not all together. And Harriet has all of her, all of her bags packed. She has like her singular bag packed and is is sitting and writes a letter to the one one last letter to the convent of the Weeping Rose. Mother Superior, enclosed you will find my rosary, Bible, and stole. I regret to inform you that I will not be returning to the convent of the Weeping Rose. Events here at home took a rather unexpected turn and my path leads me astray from that of the Lord. You have taught me well over the years, aunt. You would have been proud, but now I must have a faith all my own, a faith that despite the teachings, despite the dogma, despite the beliefs, and despite all evidence to the contrary, There is a cure. One close to me has been infected. She doesn't seem aware, and the transformation is slow, slower than most. I must have faith that there is a reason for this, that it is to buy me time to seek out that which the church has long said does not exist. I expect no reply. I await no assistance. I know that my path diverges from yours now. I expect that we may never meet again, but know this, aunt. You have changed many lives, and though we never spoke of it, it meant much to me. Enclosed also is a small memento of your brother. His loss is keenly felt. Yours in faith and sister is scratched out, Harriet Cluett. Maybe a few months past that, Harriet, you receive a letter. It's originally addressed to the Convent of the Weeping Rose, 
but it is covered in all sorts of different stamps. It has been forwarded from address to address following its way to you. Miss Harriet Cluett, it's been a year since what happened in Honeyfield, and I am forever changed knowing what darkness exists in this world. I've been talking to other confidants that I can trust in this town of subjects of this nature. Madame Black, of whom you are familiar. We've seen signs of this darkness spreading. We need you to come back. Let me know how we can can connect. The world needs, needs this. And it is signed from Father Cyrus Lightholder. I would also like a monologue. Yeah. Please. I would like a monologue from Hattie. Oh. Or not Hattie. Hetty. No. Sorry. No, that's better. <laughs> it has been. It is six months after your wedding. You get to visit. What what country is your father from? Oh, um, I, goodness. I hadn't thought so much about that. I've now forgotten every country in the world. Now. No, that's so, that's how um, world building goes. From a writing uh, Mediterranean one. You know, one of those. Truly. You know, truly. a Mediterranean one. Italian Mediterranean. Mediterranean. <laughs> Mediterranean. Yeah. Perhaps he is perhaps he is uh Italian. Okay. Yes, Italy. Yeah. It is six months after your wedding, and you have finally been able to get your manor into a state where you can leave and visit your family's ancestral home in Italy. Your husband is ever-present, but today you were able to slip away from him in the market and find a small dress shop that sells these beautiful gossamer gowns. You are perusing the baskets and, uh, and fruit wares of various sort of shops and stalls. You can see small girls running on the pier with their hair and braids tied in ribbons atop their heads like little crowns. You can see them trying to sell flowers for pocket change. And that is when you see this sort of flash of color, not quite a halo of red, out of the corner of your eye. When you turn your head to look, get a better look. No. Some other woman on the pier. Not Moira. And yet when Lieutenant Lockhart puts his arm around you, and begins to guide you back to the small hostel you are staying. You cannot ignore this chill. Even as the bells ring for mass, you find yourself pulling the shutters closed. But your eyes catch every person who walks down the street. Every person who walks down the street. When you climb into bed... And you finally snuff the lamp. 
The light lingers in a far corner. Silver sideburns. The scar on the face. Father Cyrus gives a small silent wave, motions you to come outside. What? That's it. That's it. Oh my gosh. What's That's all I got for you. Ooh, uh, yay. <laughs> I... I'm so like happy and energized by telling this story with everybody, even as traumatic as it was. <laughs> but also, I'm so sad this is the finale and that it's over. I think that it is safe to assume that this is merely a branch. I will say, if folks <laughs> really enjoyed this story, please make sure you let us know. Uh, I yes. mean, in the chat right now or tweet at us after. Uh, let us feel the love and maybe that will encourage us to uh, try to put together uh, a continuation of the story in some way. I think there are, we left many little threads uh, that we can follow. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Thank you for listening to this fourth and final episode of Haunting of Good Society, a Behold Her Studio miniseries brought to you by Story Brewers Roleplaying, the makers of Good Society, and Friday Afternoon Tea, blender of evocative teas for thirsty nerds, and edited by Rudy Basso. If you want to help make Behold Her podcast and future productions like this happen, head to patreon.com slash beholdher to pledge your support.